summer sermon series, Dare to Wonder. Title today has already brought a few uh, comments, uh, Growing Old Gracefully. And a couple of people were reading ahead and they said, you missed it, pal, you're too late. I hope to change your mind. No one here is dead yet. <laughs> Leonard Cohen, who recently passed away, uh, singer-songwriter Leonard Cohen says this. It's a great line. Well, my friends are gone. My hair is gray. I ache in places where I used to play. Yeah, we're getting a little bit older, every single one of us. In fact, is, is there anybody here that's not at least a day older than yesterday? Or a couple days older than two days ago, or older than last week? So, theoretically, we're all getting older. So, perhaps a message for all of us today. At least I hope. That's my prayer. Last week, I hinted at, at some internal happenings in my own life, uh, Last week was an important text for me, and so is this week. Perhaps less of a talk or a homily or a sermon, and perhaps more a pastoral word, a curator of the soul, if you'll allow me to go there. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes, or we're going there again today, and, and earlier this summer I, I did essentially most of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a, just a fantastic book. Because the writer of the book, Holeth, goes through all of the different activities and performances and aspects of life that we think brings us purpose, and he says at the end of the day, meaningless, meaningless, it's actually kind of dark, Meaningless, meaningless, it's all a chasing after the wind. Kind of leaves us hanging. Till today. See, he asks, what, what really is a meaningful life? He says, is it work? Is it achievements? Is it success? Is it being a foodie or a sommelier? Is it padding our portfolio or protecting everything that we have? Is it meeting our benchmarks for success, our matrix at work? Is it all of our performances? Is it the things we worry about? The things we fret and fear? Is it having nice stuff? Is it even having a purpose in life? Oh, that purpose in life, what's your purpose? What are you gonna do when you grow up? My gosh, we're making ourselves anxious just with that question. Is it all about making a difference? Is it about fighting angrily for the cause? Is it to, or is it maybe to live and let live? The writer of Ecclesiastes says all of that is meaningless. Those trajectories chase after the wind, and you can't do it. Well, then what exactly is it that makes for a meaningful life? A life lived well, qualitatively and quantitatively. I want to look at a really, at least what I think is a really fun text. Now, you may think I have a really bizarre sense of humor. 
but I want to read a text with you, and it's, it's at the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. We're going to read through the first eight verses together, and this is meant for, you, for us to laugh with each other, okay? So, and keep this question in mind. If it's not all that other stuff, what actually is it? Because after all, we're all getting older. It doesn't matter how young or young, hate to do this to you, or middle. Or middle and then sage. One is. This is a fun text. So have, let's have some fun today as we chew on the Word of God. And, and yet I hope, I hope pastorally that I'm able to take us to a deeper place. Okay? Uh, so if it's not all that, what is it? Chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. or your middle age, or your young old age, or your older age, or your very, very mature age. Remember the Creator. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, now this is where it gets kind of fun, I find no pleasure in those days before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. What's he really talking about there? He's talking about when the days come when we have more memories of days that we've lived than days we have left yet to live. He goes on and he says, when the keepers of the house tremble, when our hands start to shake. Anybody have that experience? I've been to a doctor for that already. The strong men stoop. The grinders cease. Teeth start falling out. because there's so few. And those looking through the windows, what do you think this is? Grow dim. I can actually focus you now. You were there, you just weren't quite in focus. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, we retire. When people rise up at the sound of birds. Anybody getting up earlier? You're going to bed later. I know that's just all part of it. But all those songs grow faint because we start losing our hearing. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms, wait, what? And the grasshopper drags itself along. Well, we're afraid of the heights and our pace starts to slow. And desire no longer is stirred. Desire. Well, you know what that is. 
Loss of virility. But they have a pill for that. <laughs> then people go to their eternal home, and mourners go about the streets. And now he's coming back to where he started. Remember him, your creator, before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken before life ends, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spring. That is the definition of your battery running out, which actually fits with the text. You can't time that. Did you do that? We just put new batteries in. Did you cut me off? You know, so it really doesn't matter how young or middle or old we are. We all are on this journey called life that ages, and we can either grow old gracefully or not. I don't believe there are absolute, obsolete people. The battery threw me, sorry. I don't believe there's obsolete people at any age. You're still here. There's a lot left to live. And I think this text is powerful because it helps set us on a trajectory through the decades. And through the generations. And through the centuries. And yes, even, dare I say, the millennials. The millenniums, not the millennials. How do we do it? I think there's four truths out of the text. Ready? Truth number one, all of us, somewhere along the line, have to develop a healthy ego. Ego, capital E. A healthy sense of self, a self-differentiated self. But a self that's not at the center, a self that lets God be at the center. So that we recognize our ego less with a capital E and small, more with a small e. I am one among many. It's not a narcissistic deity-like center of the universe, ego, capital E. That's what William Butler Yeats asks us to outgrow, the lying days of our youth, where I'm in charge, my opinion's most important. As a culture, as a people, as a pastor, we need less capital ego I and more small e ego because we are just one among many with Christ Jesus himself at the center. Social media is not helping. And this whole question about developing a healthy ego doesn't help us in our performance-based culture when we continually and incessantly ask people, what are you going to do with your life? 
What is your purpose? You ever asked anybody that? I have. My kids. We do it all the time. I'm wondering out loud with you now, is this helpful? This kind of purpose idealism, it makes us try too hard. We're running around with our hair on fire trying to figure it all out what it is, what it is, as if there's only one thing that it could possibly be. And even if we discover it, is that the right thing to carry us through the trajectory of decades of life? Maybe, just maybe, we're asking the wrong question, and we're trying way too hard. Thomas Merton says that if we try too hard, the temptation is to fall to angry activism and total overwork and workaholism. I'm telling you right now, I'm asking God to shed me from this. And it's not easy. I'm an Enneagram type 3. Or if that doesn't connect, I'm type A. I'm all about results. Because I find a sense of satisfaction and even self from getting things done. But I'm telling you, when I read this text, it's not in there. When I read the whole Bible, it's not in there. Someone or something else told me that was important, and I'm trying to shed it. Years ago, it was probably 10 years ago, there was a guy in my church. He was, he was an older guy, and I really liked him, but he was also just also kind of a rascal. He wasn't really helpful. He, we, the session would do one thing, and he'd do another. It just got weird. Not that that would ever happen here. And he was, he was a fun guy. I mean, I really did love this guy, Jim. I'm not going to tell you his last name. Jim. And he was, he was all those things in Ecclesiastes 12. But he didn't have a healthy sense of ego. He didn't understand that he was one among many. Even to that day in his life. And yet, nor did I. So he and I went like this. He said something to me once that's haunted me ever since. I'm going I'm to tell you what it was. We were outside doing something, and Jim said, you know, I can tell you're really trying too hard. Or he said, you're trying so hard. You're just trying so hard. But perhaps maybe you're trying too hard. Now, I don't think he meant it as a compliment. I took it as a compliment. Maybe he was more right than wrong. You see, a healthy sense of ego means that we are one among many with Christ Jesus and only Christ Jesus at the center. And perhaps we're trying too hard. And this is ridiculously countercultural. Because to keep our jobs, <laughs> we got to try really hard and, and get results, do we not? 
or there's a website for that. It's called Monster or LinkedIn or Find Me a New Job. The list, there's a long list of those places. But Paul, the writer Paul says this, and Tim alluded to it. Tim, you and I did not, we did not connect about today, did we? No. I've shared this text with staff and session. I want to share it with you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works. So we're saved by grace through faith. We don't do anything. We don't self-righteous our way into grace so that there will be results. But I get the feeling that's our methodology right now. The text goes on. So that no one individual can boast. And this is where it gets even more fantastic. We are God's workmanship. We are God's poema, workmanship. We are God's poem created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Notice the flow in the text. Grace saves us through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not anything that I perform or do. So that nobody gets the credit. Nobody can boast. God does. And if we're lucky, if we're really lucky, we'll be transformed and made into a poem, and there just might be some results. But if not, if there's no results, my friends, here's gospel this morning, you're enough. We're all enough. We don't have to do anything else. Not one more thing. You don't have to add to your to-do list, to micromanage, or technique, to self-righteous our way into some aspect of grace so that there can be results-oriented transformation. That's gospel. And you're looking at me like I've lost my mind. Why? Because culture says it's the opposite. And yet, we treat each other like culture. Not like gospel. Grace precedes the works, leads to a transformed ego. God sits at the center, we become a poem. And then maybe, maybe transformation will follow. Results will follow. Are we trying too hard? Maybe. Are you trying too hard? Maybe. Am I trying too hard? Probably. I used to think it would be cool on my tombstone to say, he got it done even this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've told, Dawn knows this. So what is the purpose of life? To have one. Pastorally, you're to be here. You're here. You guys are here. You got a lot of years left, God willing. 
You don't have as many? You probably got less. We got a life. <laughs> we don't have to do anything else but enjoy God with the one life we've got. Westminster Confession, what is the chief end of human beings? To glorify God by what? Enjoying God forever. That's got nothing to do with doing. You're here. That's enough. What a great life. It's such a great life, my friend is sleeping and snoring. And I'm glad for him. All right, second thing. Second reason there's no obsolete people. I got to move on. I love this phrase. Ready? We collaborate with the years. Isn't that a great phrase? Collaborate with the years. Co-labor with the years. It's a great expression. It means Ecclesiastes 12, it's going to happen. But we don't have to fight it. We don't have to deny it. We don't have to become workaholics and angry justice resistors. We can peacefully protest in the name of God, and that's different. Collaborating with the years is a resolve to enjoy generativity. It allows God to be at the center. Now, if our ego's in charge, if our ego's in the center, we cannot collaborate with the years. Everything is a struggle. You ever find yourself saying, why is this a struggle? It seems like I'm fighting everyone and everything. You're, you, the wrong ego's in charge. We're not collaborating with the, with the years, with Christ at the center. When my ego's in charge, I stagnate, or I can, and I become angry, and I fight it. Man, life's not fun then, is it? For those of you that live like this, is it fun? No. It's exhausting. But when we collaborate with the years, we resolve to enjoy generativity as God generates. When we collaborate with the years, we can collaborate with anyone and everyone. Young and old can collaborate. This is really kind of funny right now. When young and old collaborate with the years, it's like two poles of a battery. It makes things go. And when they can't generate together and collaborate together, There's no power. Our microphone dies. Collaborate with the years. 
is a spiritual practice that is worthy of the church to renew and understand and dive deeper into. Young and old alike. Third, another phrase I love. Ready? Can you hang in there with me for a couple more minutes? I'm, I'm wrapping up, trust me. This notion of living on the brink of everything. When the right ego's in charge, we can collaborate with the years, and we don't have to be the center of attention. It doesn't have to be my agenda that wins, because life isn't a struggle anymore. It's not a fist fight. It's not an arm wrestling match. And I've been practicing this in my own life. I'm going to tell you a little secret about how I maneuver even this room this morning, and afterwards we're going to go shake hands, and, and I'll be out there for a while. I'm going to tell you what's going on in my mind when I do those things. And I do it all over the place. I even did it at a gathering last night. I do it with my children and now my grandchildren. I do this all the time. It doesn't matter where I am spatially in a room. I could and very often am in the very center of the room. But I don't view myself there. I intentionally take my place from the center of there and I move to the edge, to the margin, to the outskirts. Because you know why? I'm on the brink of everything. And when I'm on the brink of everything, I get a better vantage point. Because I get to see who's having a fun conversation. I get to see who's in an intense conversation and make a quick note. I get to see more from the margins than I can when I'm in the center. Because when I'm in the center, I can't see as much. Try it. It'll blow you away. If, and I even do this in session meetings. Because I'm surveying the whole. Because you know what? I'm just one among many. It really has got nothing to do with what I think. It's only about God at the center. Because I want to collaborate. I want to have fun. I want to live on the brink of everything. I told you last week, my 20-month-old granddaughter's on the brink of everything. We can always be on the brink of everything if we allow ourselves to live there. It only happens when we go from capital E, ego, to small e, ego. We collaborate with the years, and we actually put ourselves on the margins, and we allow room for people to roam. Because the strength of the whole is found in the co-laboring of the entire community. All right, one more. You good? Well, eventually the silver cord will be broken. It will. The pot of water at the well will be crushed. And I'm going to go ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So are you. Nobody gets out of it. Wish I could tell you we did. We don't. But I think this really helps us walk through this process called <laughs> growth.
Growing Old Gracefully, which is kind of a cheesy title, I know. But you came, thank you. Prepare for that day with profound gentleness. Have a gentle plan. Don't wait. I'll say more about this in the future somewhere along the line. Thomas Merton coined this phrase, have a gentle plan. Be kind to yourself. Be patient with your loved ones. Include your loved ones in the planning. They want to be a part of it. Include them sooner than you think they ought be included because my guess is most of us are in denial about this whole process. You love them long enough. They want to love you. Let them in. Oliver Wendell Holmes has a great line. It's called, there is simplicity that lies on the other side of complexity. I love that line. Everything here seems so complex. Christ is that simplicity on the far side of that complexity. Stop making it so complicated. You're in the way. Let God do what God's going to do. The simplicity that lives on the other side of complexity, this is going to blow you away. You're going to have to come back in a few weeks. Is not heaven. Heaven is penultimate. Look it up. Heaven is penultimate. Heaven is a temporary resting place for what's ultimate. And you know what ultimately is going to happen? What that ultimate simplicity on the far side of complexity is? It's not a place called heaven. Yeah, we're going to go there, but that's not where we're ultimately going to go. We ultimately go to a place that's detailed at the end of the Bible in Revelation. It's called a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven and a new heaven and new earth are different locations. They're different things. We make such a big deal about heaven. Why? It's a temporary place. Are you curious? You got to come back for more. You got to come back in a few weeks for a, a, a talk called What Happens When I Die? I don't have a really big, grandiose closing story, because I like stories. Don't have one. I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been thinking a lot about last week. I've been thinking a lot about a lot of other things as well. Uh, I tried to share today some things that I'm hoping will take some of the pressure off of what I believe I'm feeling from pretty much every person I talk to, everywhere. Have a healthy sense of ego. Collaborate with the years. Don't get out of it. We don't get out of it. 
I forgot my own third point. Oh, live on the brink of everything. Live on the brink of everything. It's fantastic. You'll see who's really laughing in life, and you're going to see who's really struggling in life. You don't have to carry it. You just have to notice it. Someday you may have to do something with it. But let God do whatever that something is with that thing that you just noticed. It's not your job to fix it. It's God's. And just have a gentle plan. It's so strange to talk like this. Because it's so ingrained, the opposite is so ingrained in the way we're taught to do everything. All the more reason to just set it over here and work really hard. <laughs> At growing old gracefully. Because we're all in it together. Doesn't matter where you go, you gotta figure it out. Wherever you wherever you call church, how to grow old gracefully with Christ at the center. Let's pray. Find these words, God, gospel truth, pressure releasing, surrender abounding, performing subsiding, opining opinions. Surrendering, they're all vapors, they're all chasing after the wind. What we desire is the grace of Christ and Christ only at the center. May it be a painful struggle until it is so. May it be a haunting idea until it becomes a reality. May it be a constant struggle until it becomes cosmic truth. May it be so. May it be so. May it be so. And so, it is our desire to remember you, Creator, in the days of our youth. Amen.